As different as our lives may be, one big similarity is afflictions, weaknesses, sicknesses, hardships. We all have afflictions. Of course, our afflictions aren't exactly the same in the details or the degree, but we are bonded by our common experience of ache and need. As numerous as our pleasures are, we've been diagnosed with serious diseases. Poor health has forced us to give up activities that we once enjoyed. We've lost loved ones. We walk in the shadow of death ourselves. We've suffered abuse, mistreatment, and neglect. Some memories are very hard for us to forget. Our emotional and mental instability sometimes leaves us disordered and uncertain and scared. We have loved ones that aren't saved, and we lament the state of their souls. Our marriages are broken, and we struggle to love our spouses. We struggle to keep our vows, and things sometimes seem hopeless. Our families don't always get along, uh, leaving us angry, disappointed, hurt, and even envious sometimes of healthier families. The evening news raises our blood pressure. Uh, and then uh, seeing all of the, the stories of violence and uh, addiction and corruption and racism, and, and then you get to the commercial breaks which pull you toward idolatry. And we continue to struggle with the same old sins feeling like we can't win and sometimes doubting the sincerity of our faith which scares us we are bonded by our common afflictions well man did the pastor have a bad week good grief what a way to start saints we don't gather for worship to escape reality we gather to meet God in order to persevere reality we need God. We all have deep needs, physiological, psychological, emotional, relational, spiritual. We are afflicted people. And we need to hear again and again that Jesus is our only hope. Saints, Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve. Our king came to serve us, to help us, to heal us. And brothers and sisters, he is still helping and healing us. In our afflictions, our hope is this. Jesus Christ, the King, came to serve us, and He is still serving us. Our King is holy, perfect, righteous, mighty, and just. He is sovereign, preeminent, beautiful, glorious, and victorious. He is truthful, wise, honorable, determining, and good. He is wrathful, vengeful, awful, terrible, and severe. He is merciful gracious, patient, loving, and charitable. He is peaceful, gentle, compassionate, tender, and caring. And brothers and sisters, it is this king who came to serve us. This is our king. Now imagine what his kingdom is like. Imagine the kingdom where this king reigns and rules. It is a kingdom of unsurpassed beauty and goodness and righteousness and excellence and contentment and joy. It is a kingdom of peace, rest, well-being, and wholeness. The kingdom of God is almost too good to be true, but it is ours. Is it complete? No, not yet. 
But brothers and sisters, the kingdom has come to our hearts and lives and is increasing until its glorious consummation or completion. We taste the kingdom now. We catch a glimpse of the kingdom now, yet we will have its blessings in full at the return of our glorious king. The the book of Matthew is good news because Matthew gives us a glimpse of the glory of the king and his kingdom. Matthew shows us who the king is by telling us what the king says and what the king does. And in hearing and beholding the king, we better understand his kingdom. Matthew wants to show you the king so that you can understand and enjoy his reign and his rule in in your hearts and in your lives now and forever. And so I'd like you to grasp three simple things. Number one, the king came to teach us. Number two, the king came to heal us. And number three, the king came to bring us. And I want you to grasp these three truths so you can persevere your afflictions with strength and honor and thankfulness and joy because of how your king serves you. Only three verses today, but these verses give us a glimpse of the king and his kingdom. Number one, the king came to teach us. Verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came teaching and preaching. Now, we talk about Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. Matthew has emphasized his kingship, but we must not lose sight of Jesus as our prophet. As Heidelberg 31 says, Jesus Christ was ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit, which we saw in Matthew 3, to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Matthew is beginning to reveal to us the teaching and preaching ministry of Jesus, which confirms him as God's promised prophet. Long before Jesus taught in Galilee, God made a gospel promise to Israel. The Lord told Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words into his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Moses told Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Advance to the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew 17. God said of Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. God confirmed that Jesus is his promised prophet. God sent his son to teach and to preach the way into the kingdom through redemption in his son. Back in chapter 4, verse 17, Matthew uh, told us, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew adds detail, verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming, or you could say preaching, the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus taught in Jewish synagogues. Uh, In 2016, an archaeological excavation team unearthed a first century synagogue in Galilee, a unique and a very significant find and discovery. It's very possible that Jesus preached in that synagogue. 
Synagogues were Jewish centers of worship and learning. People would gather together to hear the scriptures read and to hear them explained. A big part of Jesus' messianic work was doctrinal, theological. The, the Messiah came teaching and preaching. So theology really, really matters. Jesus taught, but as prophet, Jesus also preached the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of salvation and the reign and the rule of God in the hearts and the lives of his people. Jesus is the exemplar of Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Jesus came preaching and teaching that God reigns. That God reigns in human hearts and lives, which is good news. Dr. Hendrickson said that the kingdom indicates God's kingship, rule or sovereignty recognized in the hearts and operative in the lives of his people and affecting their complete salvation, their constitution as a church, and finally, a redeemed universe. End of quote. So, the kingdom results in complete salvation of God's people and includes for them blessings with both soul and body, both of which begin in this life as they recognize, as his people, as his blessed ones, recognize and obey him as king. The kingdom also establishes Jews and Gentiles into the one church of all ages. Hendrickson rightly said, quote, kingdom of God and church, when used in this sense, are nearly equivalent, end of quote. Lastly, the kingdom results in a redeemed universe. This is the future new heaven and earth where God finally exercises the full extent of his saving and redeeming power. So when the king arrived as God's promised prophet, he did not preach a gospel of political greatness or social reform or health, wealth, and prosperity, though all of that would come in the consummation of his kingdom at his return. Instead, he preached a gospel of salvation from sin, guilt, and death, and the promise of eternal life in the consummated kingdom. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he began the eradication of sin and guilt from people's lives, a work that he would finish at his return. I, share, I, I try to share good quotes with you from eminent uh, Bible scholars and pastors to add clarity and to add flavor to what I'm saying and to add weight to my points. Well, John Calvin saw the kingdom as, quote, the inward and spiritual renewal of the soul. Calvin said, by quickening his elect into a heavenly newness of life, he establishes his kingdom within them. But then Calvin said this, it must be observed, however, that Christ speaks only of the beginnings of the kingdom of God. For we now begin to be formed anew by the Spirit after the image of God in order that our entire renovation and that of the whole world may afterwards follow in due time. The king has begun his glorious kingdom in us as he conforms us to the image of Christ. But in due time, brothers and sisters, our total restoration will be made complete at the return of the king. Jesus healed, but he didn't heal everybody. His miraculous healings were the beginnings of the kingdom. 
tastes of the kingdom, foreshadows of the completeness of the kingdom. His teaching and preaching were affecting the hearts and lives of people as the beautiful beginning of the kingdom that would be eventually manifested in comprehensive and universal redemption and glory for his people and all the earth. The king came to teach us. Now think about this question. Jesus traveled many different places and he preached and taught many different things. How would his teaching and preaching be preserved and propagated after his departure? I mean, if Jesus didn't write any books and he didn't post his messages on YouTube, then how would the gospel of the kingdom be accurately conserved and communicated to coming generations? Jesus took his chosen disciples along with him. He shepherded and prepared them to teach and preach the gospel. They heard him. They listened and learned and watched. And then he comforted them right before his crucifixion saying this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The apostles were taught by Jesus, then took what they were taught and what they saw, and by the help of the Holy Spirit, administered the transcription of the gospel. They wrote it down, and then they passed it to ordained pastors to proclaim to the church. This is why Paul told Pastor Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then he said this, preach the word. How does Jesus still teach us today when he is not physically here? By his spirit, through his word, faithfully taught and preached by ministers of the gospel in local churches. What did Jesus mean when he told Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep? What was he talking about? Your king knows exactly what you need to persevere in afflictions. And through faithful preaching and shepherding in your local church, your king graciously speaks to you words of comfort and hope and strength and perseverance. Jesus is no longer on earth. The apostles and the eyewitnesses are dead. But God's word is alive and the spirit of the king is at work through faithful teaching and through faithful preaching. The word and sacraments are the king's precious and lavish provisions for you, dear saints. Your king has not for a moment stopped serving you. He continues to serve you through teaching and preaching and shepherd ministry, ministry in your local church. Now, do you believe this? Do you prioritize and value the king's provision for you? Are you attentive and responsive to the means that your king provides to build up your faith so that you can persevere in your afflictions? Brothers and sisters, one day your afflictions will be gone. But until then, take full advantage of the teaching, preaching, and shepherding the king provides you for your strength and your perseverance. Number two, the king came to heal us. Verses 23 and 24, and he went throughout all Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And I want you to let that last phrase sink in. And he healed them. And he healed them. The king came to heal us. In Matthew 9, 35 and 36, Matthew says that Jesus saw that crowds were harassed and helpless and that he had compassion on them. The king's compassion led him to display his sovereign power in healing harassed and helpless people. The king heals because the king is compassionate. Compassionate. But let me ask these two questions. Did Jesus heal everyone? And did Jesus rid the world of all afflictions? No. No. While Jesus healed at one place, many others died of sickness all around the world. And the sense of verse 23 is that he healed every kind of disease and affliction. In other words, though he could have, he didn't eradicate all diseases and affliction. Disease and affliction continued after he ascended to the Father. Jesus said he accomplished the work that the Father gave him. But Jesus didn't heal everybody. He didn't come to heal everybody. Jesus didn't bring the kingdom in its fullness at his first coming, but he began it in the hearts and lives of his people, and he began to show what the kingdom is like in its fullness. He gave a taste. The day would come when the king would return and bring complete wholeness and well-being to all of his people. The first advent of the king was to rescue his people from their sin. Guilt, misery, and to begin the kingdom in their hearts and lives. Now let me substantiate that thought from Matthew 9, 6 and 7. Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee into Capernaum. They brought him a paralytic. Jesus saw their faith, and he tenderly told the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, why would he say that? Why would he go to the sins? All right? The guy's a paralytic. He's paralyzed. He's not walking. Why not just up and heal the guy? Because Jesus was bringing the kingdom to human hearts by forgiving their sins and restoring his image in them. It wasn't time to eradicate all disease, affliction, and suffering. That would come at his second coming. Well, some scribes were very uncomfortable with his language about the whole forgiving of sin thing. They got upset inside and he could sense their discomfort. And Jesus said, but that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he told the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he did. Why did Jesus physically heal that paralytic? To communicate his authority and power to forgive sins. Spiritual healing is prominent in that story. The miracle gets you there. Jesus didn't come to bring the kingdom in its fullness. He came to begin the kingdom in his people's hearts by renovating their souls. In time, if you think about it, that healed paralytic died. And he probably died of some disease or affliction. But through faith, his soul was made well. 
eternal life with the king. When Jesus healed all those people, he showed us his glory and gave us a glimpse of his consummated kingdom. And he assures us of his supremacy over sin, Satan, hell, death, and that he has given the kingdom to us who trust and love him. So when I say that the kingdom or, or the king came to heal us, I don't mean that he will make you healthy, wealthy, and comfortable in this life. That's not what I mean. He may heal you of a disease or affliction to display his compassion and power. He also may allow you to suffer many afflictions in order to display his compassion and power in your heart and life as you suffer with confidence in him. Suffer with gratitude for his goodness. Suffer with contentment in your circumstances. Suffer with unwavering trust in his divine sovereignty. Suffer with deep-seated joy that is not based on circumstances. It is not God's main objective to heal you physically in this life. It is his main objective to make you holy by healing you from the devastating effects of sin and readying you for eternity in his glorious presence. A process that will be made complete in time. Conforming you to Christ is God's goal, and he'll use your afflictions to do it. Why? Because he loves you. I think many Christians would experience the love of the Father more deeply if they realize that there is something more glorious than physical healing in this life. It is the healing God brings by purging us of sin and bringing us closer to himself amidst afflictions. When God conforms us little by little to the image of his glorious son, he is healing us. And if you think that the kingdom if you think of the kingdom primarily in physical temporal terms, what happens when you're not healed? Does it mean God abandoned you? Does it mean the king stopped serving you? Does it mean the king failed or that your faith is just too weak? We have some very physically sick people at Jerusalem Church. And people hurting psychologically as well. Our hearts ache because of our own afflictions and the afflictions of those that we love. And we pray for healing and we desire healing, but if God chooses not to physically heal or chooses not to remove that thorn in the flesh, he is not forsaking us because his ultimate plan is to spiritually heal us, to use our momentary afflictions to conform us to the image of his beautiful son. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It fails to recognize that our afflictions are part of God's sovereign plan and purposes for the good of our salvation. God is not our heavenly genie to grant us our wishes in this life. He is our God who works even our afflictions for his glory and our eternal good. Why don't faith healers like Benny Hinn and Todd White ever heal people with severe and congenital disabilities and abnormalities like paraplegia or cerebral palsy or Down syndrome or blindness or cleft palate or FAS or, or profound intellectual disability. 
the world is still broken, marred by the effects of sin. And you better believe that the king is bringing spiritual healing to the hearts and lives of many people with congenital disabilities and abnormalities and using these afflictions to conform them to the beautiful image of Christ. And one day, one day, their pain will be gone and they will be completely restored and and healed at the return of their king, their glorious king. That's why we long for the return of the king. We want the fullness of his kingdom. We want the fullness of his healing. We want to see him, not in a mirror dimly, not through this weird thing called sin, which is ruining everything, but we want to see him face to face in the fullness of his beauty. But alas, dear brothers and sisters, by his grace, we must endure many afflictions until then. Many in first century Palestine hated Jesus because he didn't bring the fullness of the kingdom as they desired at that time. And so like Judas, they missed the profound reality of his spiritual kingdom beginning in human hearts. They wanted temporal, not eternal. We hope for physical healing. We pray for physical healing. We want physical healing. But saints, we don't need physical healing to know that the kingdom has come. It has begun, and our king is serving us and loving us by healing our hearts and healing our souls by his grace so that one day we will get all that is ours in him at his return. Do you know that complete healing is ours? Complete restoration and healing. No more of this. But not yet, beloved saints, not yet. In time. Look deeply into the afflictions of your life and see the hand of God serving you and loving you for your salvation, for your conformation to the image of Christ who suffered for you. Jesus came and healed the afflicted. He drove out demons and he gave people sound minds. Matthew mentions seizures. Uh, One source said, quote, the Greek word translated those having seizures originally meant moonstruck and reflects the ancient superstition that seizures were caused by changes of the moon. That's weird, but that's what people, I guess, thought. So I think Matthew has epileptics in mind with with these great seizures, but because of the word, we should not easily dismiss that he at least implied insanity and mentally deranged people as well. And so I think verses 23 and 24 cover all mental illnesses. Jesus is sovereign over all kinds of afflictions, and he healed them. Let that resound inside of you, and he healed them. There is nothing that the king cannot heal. There is nothing that the king will not heal. And though he may not heal your affliction in this life, dear brothers and sisters, he will make you completely whole at his glorious return. I want you to imagine Jesus riding out as the great warrior king with sword in hand on his great stallion to slay his and our enemies. Dr. Hendrickson said this, It is evident, therefore, that the Son of God was going forth to war. 
He was destroying the works of the devil, teaching and preaching, casting out demons and healing sicknesses by the power of the Spirit, thus healing both soul and body, and more and more establishing the kingdom of God on earth. That last line is key. More and more establishing the kingdom of God on earth. Dear saints, what our king started, our king will finish. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Your complete healing, brothers and sisters, is on its way. Just not yet. Not yet. Our afflictions remain in this life, but dear, dear saints of the King, our King serves us by governing us, by His Word and Spirit, defending us against uh, the enemies of Satan and sin, preserving us uh, for the redemption that he obtained for us, we must not count on full healing in this life because God has only promised us that in the next. Let our greatest desire in this life be this, to be like the one who suffered many afflictions for us because if Jesus is working to make us like himself, he is healing us. He is serving us. And he is serving us well. Number three, the king came to bring us. Jesus came preaching and teaching to reveal the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came healing to substantiate his kingship and to give a taste of the kingdom. And Jesus came to bring his people into his kingdom by accomplishing salvation for them by his merits alone. Verse 24 tells us that news of Jesus went out through all Syria. Verse 25 says, And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Last time I explained the, the Galilee of the Gentiles. The Decapolis, or ten cities, was an eastern frontier of the Roman Empire. Alexander the Great conquered this area and Greeks settled there. It was the center of Greek and Roman culture. Gentiles were the majority in the Decapolis. And Matthew tells us that great crowds followed Jesus, but not in the sense that his chosen disciples followed him. The crowds were not often in total opposition to Jesus like the religious leaders were, yet they were not totally bought in either as his chosen disciples were. As the book of John reveals, many people followed Jesus merely for his signs and never genuinely repented or believed. They just wanted to see him do something amazing. Yet some followed him for more than his miracles, as the apostles show us. They followed him because they trusted in him for salvation and eternal healing. Matthew mentions these places to emphasize that people were drawn to Jesus from great distances. Jews and Gentiles alike came to Jesus. The message of the kingdom and glimpses of the kingdom were spreading to people from the nations in fulfillment of God's gospel promise to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The kingdom knows no ethnicity, only sovereign grace and blessing extended to all the peoples in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Of course, miraculous healings would draw a crowd. My goodness, there'd be people coming all over the place. However, Jesus didn't merely do miracles. He taught and preached the gospel of the kingdom. So by coming to Jesus, many people were healed and they heard the good news of the kingdom of God. And adulterers and prostitutes and thieves and liars and lunatics and legalists 
and the like were brought into the kingdom by his majesty. Matthew tells us the king came not to be served, but to serve. And Matthew added, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The king did more than teach and preach. The king did more than heal diseases and afflictions. The king suffered unfathomable afflictions himself. And he gave his life to ransom all of God's elect people from the curse of sin and death in order to grant them the kingdom. Jesus came to teach us. Jesus came to heal us. And Jesus came to bring us. How does Jesus, King Jesus serve us today? As long as we are alive on this earth, we will have afflictions. So how is King Jesus serving us amidst our afflictions? The king teaches us. As our prophet and teacher, Jesus is still revealing to us the gospel of the kingdom by his spirit at work through the preached word. What's happening right now, Jesus is working. Jesus even works by his spirit to assure us of the gospel through the sacraments which we receive by faith. The king serves us through his ordinary means of grace. The king heals us. Sometimes he heals people from diseases and afflictions in ways that doctors can't explain. Some of you, I think, have experienced that. You're just blown away, and the doctors don't know what to say. Other times he heals by means of modern medicine, and it's amazing. God's healing power through technology and things like that. Other times he doesn't heal. But he is still healing his people from, by purging sin from their hearts and lives. He is sanctifying us, dear saints, by his spirit so we can make progress in the Christian life to commune more deeply with God. He does this through the supernatural means of his word and sacraments and prayer. And the king brings us. By his spirit, Jesus is working perseverance in us so that like Christian in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, if you're familiar with that story, we will reach the celestial city because he's working perseverance in us. Psalm 34, 19 is a promise for you, dear saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The king is currently delivering us, brothers and sisters. He's just not finished yet. Paul told the Corinthians, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Do you feel that way? Your outer self... <laughs> You look like you're wasting. I'm, I'm kidding. That's rude. You don't say that to the congregation. Only a few of you look like you're wasting away. The rest are beautiful. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's beautiful. You're beautiful. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's good. Our afflictions in this life are momentary. But... But for a brief period of time. It doesn't feel like that. I'm not saying that it feels like that. But they're momentary. And then eternal healing and eternal glory. In a moment. Look not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. Look to what the Spirit of the King is doing in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And rejoice that the King is still serving you. Still serving you. Still conforming you to His precious image. Because you belong to Him, soul and body. 
So how should we respond to the ongoing reign and rule of the king in our hearts and lives? How do you respond to that? What do we do now with this good news? Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. It's pretty simple, actually. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's it. Gratitude, reverence, awe, worship, service to the king. That's what we do. That's what we do. In your afflictions, beloved saints, be grateful that the kingdom is yours in Christ. In your afflictions, offer yourself to God in acceptable worship. In your afflictions, revere the king. Be in awe of the king. Serve the king because the king is serving you.